0: There's such incredible power in that message of you're not alone. That's what's partly motivated me to do this particular kind of little spin-off series, is just that, is that like there's so much power in just someone sharing their story. There's always someone who can relate. There's always someone who can speak up. There's always someone who sees a little bit of themselves On this episode of the Multi-Amory podcast, we are diving into another Multi-Amory story. For this episode, I had a conversation with Corey Nicole Williams. The reason I found Corey is because for years, I've had a Google search alert set up for the term relationship anarchy. Now, the reason for this is there's not a lot of direct or official resources for relationship anarchy. You know, I think a lot of people kind of stumble into this term. Maybe some people are familiar with the Relationship Anarchy Manifesto, but the term itself and the concept I find really shifts and changes and is interpreted differently by very different people. And so I set up the search alert because I've always been curious to track how the conversation is shifting and moving as more people write and create content about this concept so, I came across Corey's article on Mind Body Green titled, As a Queer Person, Relationship Anarchy Helped Me Create the Family I Need. Corey is a very talented writer, and I highly recommend that you go um, Google that title, go check out her piece. Corey Nicole Williams is a freelance writer who graduated from St. John's University. She strives to use her voice to support and uplift others, but she also loves Marvel movies and writing about entertainment news. Her work has been published at 17, Distractify, Mind Body Green, and elsewhere. Corey and I had a wonderful conversation where we talked about relationship anarchy, queerness, mental health, Christianity, and so much more. I hope you enjoy. Can you? Recall some of the earliest messaging and lessons that you received about romantic relationships and sexual relationships.
1: I don't even think, in terms of romantic, that I had a message really. Like, not directly told to me, just because I think it was just assumed how certain things would go. I think there's a lot of assumptions of, well, you know, I'll end up with a man and have kids with said man and, you know, grow old with these kids and this man (laughs) and that is not really how it ended up working out if anything one message I know I had for sure was that I was to be abstinent growing up no sexual marriage that whole thing I grew up in a Christian household and that was just not something that we did it was never like forced on me but you know whenever like you know there's someone on tv talking about it's like Corey come look I'm like okay that kind of thing um Which is funny, though, because I actually chose abstinence on my own outside of any of that. This was was something I chose. And then when I was older, I made different choices. But yeah, that was something I chose at a young age. So I never really understood why that was pushed when I was already here. But okay.
0: That's so interesting because I also grew up in a Christian household, very strong purity messaging, very strong abstinence messaging. That's interesting that you, that you indicate that it's like, this is actually something that I chose for myself separate from being pushed into that. Can you remember your, your thinking around that at that age? I was just, um, I don't want to say devout, devoutly religious because I don't know
1: how devout you can be at like 13, um, But yeah, I was just very um, concerned with, you know, my relationship with the Lord, how me and Jesus were finna get on, you know, how we were going to be homies (laughs) at that age. And so I felt like one of those things was, you know, waiting until marriage, um, being what I I thought Jesus would have wanted me to be. And then part of that was, you know, me being abstinent until marriage. And it was something too, where I was at an age or going into my teenage years, everyone was talking about having sex or doing something of a sexual nature or whatever the case may be. And I was like, that sounds like a lot. I don't want to do all of that anyway. So it's easier. This life is simpler this way. And frankly, that's true for me, at least it was a
0: lot simpler not having to deal with all that. So for you, it felt like a little bit more of an empowered choice that you made on your own rather than something that was just forced on you.
1: Yeah, it was definitely like a choice that I made and I was proud of it. And I, I let, Everybody knew, not everybody, but people knew I wasn't afraid to talk about it. It wasn't something that I was too personal or scared to talk about.
0: Oh, wow. So you were even like shouting it to the rafters as well. Yes. When did that start to shift for you? (laughs) I went to Catholic school. Oh, boy. (laughs) I went to
1: a Catholic college. um, And whilst I was there, you know, at least at the school I went to, you're supposed to take three theology classes, at least at the time, this was like five, five, six years ago. Three theology classes and three philosophy classes. And, the, and you, you could take whatever classes you want, as long as they fit that criteria of the class. So I ended up taking a few different classes and, uh, you know, a lot of the professors either were Catholic or Christian or didn't really care too much for like historical um, or traditional rather beliefs, or they were like, this is some bullshit. Here's what you need to know, whatever they said. You know, um, this is what I actually remember some philosophy course, the first day the professor was talking about Jesus being some fancy man in the sky and someone was so offended, they just walked out and I was like, oh, okay.
0: (gasps) So the class is like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. It was like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about certain professors being like, okay, this over here is bullshit and here's what's the actually important thing. Like, Do you have a specific example that you can recall of that, that was influential to you?
1: I remember I took a, my only Saturday class. Cause I was like, I wonder what it's like to take class on Saturday. Just in case you didn't know it's some bullshit. Um, <laughs> Suspected. I, yeah. So I, but I think this was the only day of the week I could take the class in terms of my schedule anyway. So I'm taking this Christian marriage course and he, like the professor is, is um, I believe he is a, he was a Catholic and he. I don't know if he still is or if things change. Or I'm sure his like beliefs have changed over the years, but he was saying how oh, he grew up that way. And now he's and he taught us essentially the history of marriage, what it meant to be married throughout the years and all that stuff. And he's basically saying about how the Bible just says that, you know, waiting until marriage is just a way for men to control women. And something about that just like did something to my spirit. Like, I was like, wait a minute, wait. <laughs> like, I feel like I knew. But then when he said that, I was like, damn no, I know, no, you know, I can't deny that now because he's saying it and he has references for his facts and I'm like, okay, damn. So now it's like, I'm going on this journey of like, what do I really believe? How do I feel about what I believe? And I had a boyfriend at the time too. So, um, we were, I was waiting and he was only waiting because I was waiting. So not that he pressured me because that's not what I'm saying. But it was very much so I could be having sex right now, you know, (laughs) I could see what this is like, I could do the thing and discover what this aspect of life is. And if I'm really interested, what really is stopping me, you know, so I just got more curious. And after a while, it was just like, maybe this isn't the, the biblical wave I need to be on.
0: That's really amazing to me because when I think about my own upbringing, it it wasn't Catholic, but it was evangelical Christian. And to be presented with a concept like that about, hey, marriage has a history. It hasn't always been this thing. It hasn't always been this like spiritually divine, God-blessed thing. You know, it does have this history and patriarchy and control of women. To get a message like that from a secular source it would be so easy to be like oh yeah well it's a secular source it's a secular professor they're way too liberal like of course they're going to say that but to get that from an actual catholic institution and a catholic professor i feel like that that would have if i were in your position would have just like blown the doors off my reality which it sounds like it did for you to a certain extent
1: yeah i the college really was looking back college really was like my whole life shifted in college and I can see why looking back now, but at the time it was just like, what do you mean, you know, that I can do all these things and that I hadn't even thought of before, you know, all these different aspects of life, especially because I grew up in a, but like the thing is, I think with my household growing up, we weren't so like devoutly Christian that like we couldn't watch TV or anything, like things like that. We weren't, so it wasn't such an extreme environment, but it was like, you know, just be aware that God loves you. And like if you follow the teachings and things like that, you know, we you can live, your best life in heaven, that kind of thing. Um, But I think, you know, as I grew up, like I said, it just kind of shifted into like a, I still believe in Christ. I still want to have this relationship, but do I really want to have it like this? And I think the more I questioned how I wanted to do it, the more I opened up to just like living life a different way.
0: So your boyfriend that you had in college, did that feel like it was like a serious, like definitely going to get married kind of relationship, especially since the two of you were deciding we're going to wait
1: That was definitely the plan, I think, at one time. And I think that's part of the reason we broke up is because I was so scared to get married. I didn't know if that was the best idea. And frankly, for me, it wasn't. We went to a small high school. So everyone knew us. I knew everyone. Everyone knew all of our business. And it was just like, everyone, in a way, was like, oh, so you're going to get married, right? And I'm like, well, I don't know what that feels like or what that looks like. And then people, and it became a thing where I felt like I almost lost who I was because the school was so small. So people were like, oh, where's Matthew? Whenever it was just me. And I'm like, oh, well, he's not here. It's just me. I'm sorry if that disappoints you that it's just me here. Everything that I did had to be with him or, if it, or it wasn't going to happen. or I couldn't do it. And it became a thing where I was always checking in with him to see, uh, to see what he was doing and he, what I was doing. And we were always so like, together and I kind of felt like I wasn't being myself all the time and on top of that um I was kind of you know being in college and you're seeing people doing different things and you grew up seeing so people are being openly queer openly gay and like I'm just like well what if I want to do these things can't do these things in the relationship so it's like I wonder like if I really am gay I was very much into questioning my sexuality at that time and it was just like this just really isn't Conducive to the growth I think I should have me being with him always felt like I had to get married because of people's expectations of us but then I knew that it, that may not be the best idea because I had all this self-growth I had to do and I felt like I couldn't do it with him in the picture at that time yeah
0: I think it's especially hard what you're speaking to because I, I do think in a lot of the Christian tradition, we are kind of trained to look at relationships as you become one unit, right? Yeah. That's literally biblical, like you become this one person, you become one flesh. And so from a very, very early age and a very early time, and sometimes in very inappropriate relationships, it's like you're encouraged to have that hive mind where we just come as a unit kind of way of relating to the world, which, like you said, really isn't conducive when you still have a lot of self-discovery to do.
1: Yeah, especially being so young. I was like 20-something. We were together from when I was 17 to when I was 21, 22, I believe. So those are those years. You know, I'm in college trying to figure out my life, and it just, you know, being committed to the one person for the rest of my life just really didn't seem, the older I got, like,
0: it made sense. Was it scary to leave that relationship or did it feel liberating?
1: Um, I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was scary because I, I felt like not only was I disappointing people that I cared about because people I knew were really rooting for us and our families all knew each other and all of that. But it was also like not liberating in the sense that like I'm finally free, but more in the sense of like I can see what my life could be. You know, I could see what, what could be go- moving forward. You know, and I, that was mm. when I entered my first like polyamorous relationship and, you know,
0: I was doing gay shit. That was fun. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm curious to rewind the tape there a little bit because you talked about like, you know, there were these influences around you where you could observe and you could see what your life could be. And I'm curious, what were the things that you were seeing that you feel like were the most influential? Were there particular people or like particular scenes or particular communities or particular events, like what do you think was influencing that most to kind of start thinking about the ways that your life could be different? I think that even though I went to like a a Catholic school, there was a lot of queerness,
1: a lot of trans people, a lot of openly, a lot of people openly doing and experiencing and being these things and these people. And so I don't think in the moment I'm like, oh my gosh, I can do this too. But more, it was more so it was just like, if I like, or if, I, or if I'm attracted to this person, like I can see where that goes, you know, just like so-and-so was doing. I, a lot of my friends in college and even people I'm cool with now from college are non-binary or somewhere in some kind of transgender experience. A lot of people are bi or pansexual. A lot of people have done things just to see how they felt about it, just to ex- experiment and see how they felt. So, you know, that was something that, I was just constantly around, and I think that when people kind of um, indirectly give you the okay to do things, you just kind of feel like you can do them too. I feel like growing up too, I kind of felt like I kind of gradually opened up my mind to the idea of like being with women or just another gender in general. It was just kind of like before I even knew what being transgender was. You know, growing up and seeing other girls, seeing women I felt were attractive was something I, I always experienced, but it was like. But that's just because other women are beautiful. And I just, I can't be bi because I've never been with a woman anyway. And like, well, they just look nice. And they, you know, things like all those things you say before you realize, like, actually, wait, like, I'm actually bisexual. Yeah. I said all those things. And I was really concerned with how much experience is enough to be considered bisexual. And there was definitely a point where I was like, well, I can't claim the identity if I've never done certain things, you know, because I knew from a young age that bisexual people had a bad rap and it was just like, well, I wouldn't want to add to that stigma. So let me just like chill out and see how I feel before I just say words out loud.
0: <laughs> and how did that go? So, I mean, so then what was that like? Was it then it's like, okay, now I got to go out and like get a bunch of experience under my belt? No, because I was still awkward. I'm still very awkward.
1: So it's like, I couldn't <laughs> do anything anyway. What am I going to do? how am i going to gain this how am i going to experience these things versus um, the idea i feel like a lot of people were just like you're not gonna if you haven't dated a girl then you can't say that you're bi and it's like okay but what girl would even want to go out with me like how do you how do you even meet people to do gay things with how does i, I don't, like i don't even know how that works so at the time it was just like well i'm just going to be here and qu- like in the back quiet not expressing anything cuz i don't want to be that person yeah. It took, um, after I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, I realized that if I'm going to do gay okay, things on purpose, I got to put myself in spaces where there are other people who might be attracted to me. So, um, I actively sought out like, you know, dating apps and stuff. We've all been on Tinder. And, oh yeah. Fortunately, um, unfortunately. unfortunately. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. It's so bad. Um, <laughs> you know, we've all been through those things and been on like Facebook groups and because I had met certain people, I was just becoming friends with people who were transgender or who were just living life differently than myself. And it was really just eye-opening to see people be happy doing all these things that I grew up not knowing you could do. Because it wasn't like we were talking about like being A is horrible or like being transgender is this horrible thing. We just never talked about it growing up. I never knew until I was in school and seeing those things. So I didn't grow up with the stigma, which I think is good. Like my family's always been very like accepting. But it just wasn't spoken about. So it was like, well, I don't know anything bad about these people. So in my head, they're just people doing other things. So I think that was like one of the things where I could say like, you know, I didn't have any kind of preconceived notion going into meeting these people. It was just like, it was what it was.
0: So did things turn out super great on Tinder? I've met some great people on Tinder that I'm friends with. No, pause. That's a lie.
1: Um, <laughs> I did meet someone I dated on Tinder, and we dated for a few months, and then um, I met one of my closest friends on Tinder. We're still cool to this day, and that, this was like what? Oh my god, how many years ago? Like six years ago. Um, everything else was trash, but you know, people <laughs> just want to have sex, so. Right. I want right. to say that overall it was a positive experience because I did meet people who helped kind of shape the way that I viewed things in terms of, like, polyamory and, like, being around different kinds of people.
0: But other than that, like, it was kind of trash, like, mostly trash. I think not a lot of people would disagree with that (laughs) assessment mostly trash. (laughs) Do you still identify with the label of bisexual now? I mean, I use the word now. Okay,
1: so I have no issue being called bi there's nothing wrong with it for me personally. It fits me. And it's the first word that I ever used to express my sexuality in that way. So I have a little, you know, soft spot in my heart for being bisexual. Um, But I also acknowledge now that I am attracted to people regardless of gender. So there is no, um, I think I definitely have a preference towards women, but um, I'm attracted to people regardless. And I don't really use a label. Unless people ask for like a word, then then I'll say like, and sexual usually. But then it's like, not everyone knows what that is. And even if I do say that I don't want to be labeled or I don't really care for a label, it's like, oh, but that sounds like you're bi. So it's easier sometimes just to say, you know, that I'm bisexual.
0: Yeah, it, it is interesting. Like what you brought up earlier about feeling like we need to almost like have a particular resume or a particular amount of experience to be able to claim a particular label <laughs> the number of times I've been asked but honestly only by men so what do you
1: like more and if I if I mm. pick one or the other when I was younger in college um and I asked that question I would pick I would pick one and they would say oh so that means you must be straight or you're just gay or whatever I'm like I don't think that's how it works I'm not sure mm. I don't think mm-hmm. that's how it works uh-huh. <laughs> so um that was always the things too now that I'm older I just don't even
0: answer that question but at the time I was like well I guess if I had to pick one like I don't have to do right, one. right. That is a weird question to ask someone that you don't know very well. <laughs> the number
1: of questions, honestly, in my experience, it's just men that I don't know or men that don't know me uh-huh. very well. Who, it's always cisgender men who ask. Um, so wh- which one do you like more? Do you still like guys? Have you ever had a threesome? Those are the three questions from guys who I don't know. It's always men who, if I knew, if I've known a man for a long time. And I come out to him and we're friendly and we're cool. It's never those questions. Only a man that I, I don't know from the next day. So
0: That's so interesting. It's like the agenda is really clear with those three questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned this kind of being a transitional period where you also got into like non-traditional or non-monogamous relationships. What right. what was that journey like for you? Um, so I did like one of the
1: people I met on Tinder, um, they ended up telling me that they're polyamorous. And at the time, at the very beginning of whatever this was, I was like, well, I don't really care because it's not like we're going to get married tomorrow. I don't know anything about being polyamorous, so why not just, like, see where things go? And it was just a very chill. It was just a very, we were just together, and they were with other people, and I could date whoever I wanted. And as long as we were communicative and as long as we were, um, I don't want to say asking permission, that sounds nasty, but, like, being clear with, like, hey, I could want to have sex with so-and-so, like, letting you know, protection, whatever, um, like, if, if that's okay with you, you know, like, not permission, but, like, you know, because with the person, it wasn't like they would ever say no unless it, it felt, like, dangerous. But, like, just being aware, I guess, is, like, what I'm trying to say. Being aware of, like, saying, hey, I, I want to do a thing with so-and-so, letting you know beforehand because I don't want it to be weird. Or I don't want to, you know, you to find out from somebody else that I did something. But, yeah. I realized, especially in that relationship, that I'm not a very jealous person at all. I rarely ever, ever feel jealous about anything. Um, so I realized, like, you know, if I... But I do have my moments. So when I am jealous, it's very easy for me to say, like, Corey, this is bothering you for this particular reason. And it's very easy for me to say, okay, so... But why do you feel this way? And once I figure out why, it's like I can go to the person and say, like, I feel X, Y, Z because of X, Y, Z. And hopefully we can work through it. Um, but, yeah, I realized that was very important to me because I've always been a very um, kind of, not a free spirit, but, like, I guess a free spirit. I, don't, I do what I feel like, I guess, <laughs> within reason. So, yeah. Um, so I feel like that was one of those things too. When my my ex was like, "You can kind of just like you know, as long as we're clear about things, we can talk about things. You know, as long as you're being safe, like do what you feel like." It's like, really okay, I guess. It was it was so, it was strange in the sense of like I've never had that kind of freedom before, considering that my last um, relationship was so serious and so like monogamously stereotypical, mm-hmm. but um. It was it was interesting for sure. Because like I didn't, I dated other people, but it just it felt like it it was easy. I feel like other people may have looked at it and been like, "Um, what are you doing?" You know, but I didn't feel I didn't feel weird about it. I didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong. We were open about it. We were talking about it. That's what was important.
0: It sounds like you had a pretty chill and natural first experience with with non monogamy, which. In my experience, working with so many clients and hearing so many people's stories, like often people have the opposite. Often they're dragged into non-monogamy, kicking and screaming or, you know, with a lot of drama or a lot of like miscommunication, but it seems like it was a really natural fit at the time. for Yeah, you. it's something I would do again with the right
1: people. I realize that looking back, you really have to do this with like, well, any kind of relationship with the right people, but in terms of being polyamorous i feel like a lot of people have these ideas of what it should or shouldn't be or what they see in like movies or whatever or like it being some weird love triangle situation and that's definitely not what i was going to be a part of if anything the only weird parts about it was like the questions i would get from my friends who are like so which one do you like more who are you like or why do you like this or why would you do that you know all those questions i would get but like mind your business
0: Had you ever questioned monogamy or traditional relationship structure up to this point? Or was this particular relationship the first time for that?
1: It was definitely the first time being in this relationship was the first time that I even considered doing anything else. I didn't even think, I think before this, that I could do anything else. I realized for myself too, that I'm the kind of person who I don't really see it happening for myself until I can see someone else has done it. I I think I've, yeah, like looking back, I, I've i been the kind of person like, I don't think I can do this. But then if someone else does it, it's like, but why can't I? I had never really even seen like a healthy polyamorous thing. I think the closest thing that I had gotten to like people being as healthy as I like, guess you could be before this was like people talking about how I guess if you cheat and your partner doesn't know, do they really, is it really a problem? Those kinds of things mm. um, before this. But this was the first time this, relationship was the first time where I kind of knew that we could all just be on the same page and everything's okay. And I, um, I ended up meeting, you know, their other partners at the time and it was, um, just a very like positive experience for my first polyamorous
0: situation. I'm curious what led you eventually into discovering the concept of relationship anarchy? So a lot of stuff happened in college, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gathering that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I think I, looking back, a lot of it was in college. Um, shout out to my school. I realized like it was weird for me because I'm learning all these things about all these kinds of people who do all these kinds of things. And I never did any of those things. And it was just like, I was at a weird spot because I had been very suicidal years before at the time, on and off throughout my life. At that time, I had been very suicidal. And I would always tell like family and stuff, you know. I hate my life. I hate things here, what, like or whatever. I would say, I would try and be open and honest with people that I was close to, but it was always like, well, you know, you have things. You have, you know, your health. You're not on. Un- you're not unwell. You have a roof over your head. What exactly is it that you have to be so depressed about? I couldn't formulate the words at the time, but looking back, or Being able to, getting older and being in college and being able to say, well, it wasn't about any external thing that I hated. The external things were great. I had friends who I was cool with. My family's always been good to me. I didn't really have um, a lot of issues when it came to external things, but internally, I just felt worthless. I felt like nothing I did was worth the effort, I didn't matter. People loved me, but that was just convenient because I was around. Things like that that you say when you don't, you know, when you don't like yourself. A lot of stuff like that. So I think growing up with that for so long and then being like, well, you know, I tried to reach out to these people who I'm close to. My family was rough on me because, like, not rough on me, but they were like, well, you know, why? You're depressed, but why? Like, they didn't understand. And I think, especially for my mom, who's always been such a strong person in my life, for her, it was like, I don't understand. I want to understand, like, what are you talking about? Going into college and making, fr- like, lifelong friends. Like, we've been friends for so many years, and they've always been so accepting. No one questions me. No one was trying to deeply analyze my feelings, you know? I said what I said, and it made sense to them for whatever reason. And that was it. And I think a lot of that too is like having to justify my feelings. But so even with friends I had when I was in middle school or like high school, it was like, but you look so happy. Okay, but I'm not. So what do you mean? I, I always felt like I had to prove myself to these people. And I don't want to have to keep proving myself to everybody. Except what I had to say, cause I said it, this is my experience. But that was never good enough for people for whatever reason, especially these kids in like middle school. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Rough time. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I met these, these kids in college and it was just like, wow, like people were like, I came out to the first person I came out to was actually the person I'm going to, I'm going to his wedding. I was finally on people who didn't really care about me having to prove myself around people who, who may who even have the same culture as my growing up. Like I, my family's from the Caribbean so who had like the same cultural understanding that I had, so knew the kind of background that my family came from, but still understood from my point of view that like, I still felt the way that I did and that's valid. And it was just so like, like a weight off of whatever shoulders, you know, it was such like, I could breathe, you know, it was so refreshing. I love my family. Everyone's cool over there. Okay, sure. But I really put in all my emotional effort to be told, that what I experienced wasn't real. That sounds fake. Mm. (laughs) Like I can't do that. So with me and my friends it was just like I love these people. These people are like a family to me. Regardless of where we've moved to at this point, we're like a family. This was before I realized the concept of a chosen family, but at the time it was like kind of awakening and unraveling that idea of relationship anarchy where it was like, well, I can kind of I can choose a family. I can have a family that I'm connected to you by blood, and that's great, sure, whatever. But I could also choose people on purpose who mean something to me and have those relationships mean just as much as my family. That was so, like, refreshing. That was so cathartic to whatever my little depressed self was feeling at the time.
0: It's, it's almost like this difference between your blood family. These are the collection of people who technically, biologically, gave you life, brought you into life. But then if you find this chosen family of the people who are like actually actively giving you your life and saving your life, especially if you're in a depressive state, you know, it's, it's fascinating. We're going to take a quick break from our interview to talk about the best ways that you can support this show so that we can keep bringing stories like this to you for free. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also That's Multi, M-U-L-T-I, at AdamandEve.com, AdamMail.com, or Eve'sToys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So, so my question for you, because I think the concept of relationship anarchy... I guess probably quite appropriately, there has yet to be a single defining voice for relationship anarchy, right? there, There's yet to be a single defining book or a single person or content creator or whoever who's really leading the charge on defining this concept. And so conceptually, I find that it really shifts and changes and depends on the person. And so how do you even define relationship anarchy? no one type
1: of relationship is more important than another type of relationship. So if I'm like, if I'm related to someone, they're not automatically important just because we share the same bloodline. versus someone I've been friends with for a couple of weeks or so. You know, if I'm cool with that person, we're cool. If not, we're not, but that doesn't make it special or that doesn't make it more important just because, um, I'm related to them. But the same thing also counts for like romantic relationships. I feel like a lot of people put their romantic relationships, um, whether they be polyamorous or monogamous on this pedestal of like, this is the most important person in my life. And I'm like, okay, sure. Maybe if you're married and you have kids and finances and all that together, then that definitely makes sense. I don't have any of that. (laughs) So I don't know what that looks like. But for me, like, my partners have never been more important than my friends just because I was romantically attached to them. I've always been the kind of person to say my friends are just as important, if not more, because I don't know if I like you all the time. Romantic (laughs) person.
0: Can, can relate. (laughs) You know, so it's
1: like, um, I put all of my friends and all of my, um, all of my relationships on like the same kind of pedestal, but it just depends how close we are and where I, Place that person or that relationship in my life.
0: On a day to day practical basis, how do you think that this concept has changed, like the way that you interact with your family or your friends or your partners? Like, does it change the way that you communicate? Does it change the way that you plan? How does it look on a day to day basis?
1: Well, I'm not in a relationship right now, but um, when I was, it was always very much. If I was seeing someone and it was like a consistent, serious relationship, then by default, you know, all my weekends would go to that romantic person just because, you know, how often, like how often would I get to see them? So by default, that would typically be a thing. Once a week, we can see each other. But let's say like a friend of mine made plans. Look, well, actually, romantic person, we didn't really make plans, plans. I just gave you the day. So my friend wants to do something this weekend. I'm going to go out with them and I'll see you when I see you. I think um, a lot of people kind of um, assume that, Just because I'm dating someone or just like, I have romantic feelings towards someone that they always come, they always come first. And a lot of my friends are like that. I've had issues with friends who are like that. Um, And it just has never made sense for me personally. So I think that just like scheduling my time and like allowing people who I really care about to be in my personal space on a regular basis has changed. But I also don't think I've never not done that. I kind of feel like I've always been a version of this person. <laughs> now I have a, a word to understand how I feel and this makes sense for me because this is what I've chosen actively.
0: Other question for you because this is one that I I think always throws people for a loop and this is a concept that I'm really intrigued by. Do you think that someone can actively choose a monogamous romantic relationship but still be a relationship anarchist?
1: Yeah, I think I've done it. I think that people in monogamous relationships sometimes can feel, or the stereotype is that you're the best thing to ever happened to them, that you're this person's everything, that you know, anything else happens, they're always there for you, or anything that happens, they'll always be your number one. And frankly, that's just not realistic, you know. Especially when you have had friends for years, like I've had friends for years who I would do anything for, and you just happen to meet the love of your life tomorrow that's wonderful. Meet the love of your life, but also understand they're not more important just because you have romantic feelings. Romantic feelings are not the end all be all just because you want to kiss them at night. You know what I mean? Talking to your partner and saying like, Hey, you know, I love you, but the love I have for you isn't more important than the love I have for my friends. Isn't more important than the love I have for my, my family. You know, just letting people know that that's how you feel and, making sure that they're open to that idea. Cause I think a lot of people do kind of look for a romantic relationship to kind of be like you're are everything all the time and no one else matters. And that's just not how I see things. I feel like if I love you, I love you, but you also have to understand that with me, I have amazing people in my life already. And if you want to add to the amazing people in my life, then be my guest, like come through, let's do everything together. But at the same time, you're not replacing anybody. We're not more important than anybody else. Unless we really decide to like come together and like build a family, then I guess we can reevaluate that as time happens. (laughs) But people aren't more important just because you do a certain thing with them that you wouldn't do with anyone else.
0: What was it that drew you to first start speaking and writing about these things more publicly?
1: Ever since I came out as bisexual, I need to use my voice. I kind of need to say the thing for people who may not have a voice. While I do intersect into a few different minority groups, I have so much privilege and I have so much, I'm so blessed to have the life that I have. So it's like, if I can help the next person express how they feel, I'm going to do that too. I remember 2018, I wrote about what it's like for people who are Caribbean and queer for a different publication. And my family's from Jamaica, I'm queer, but I've never had those kind of experiences. Some people have told me that they wanted to kill themselves. One person in particular You told me that he told his brother, like, listen, if I end up being gay, just kill me. Because he knew that going back home to the country that he was from, it just would not be accepted. And so things like that. I also like to learn about people. Like just people's experiences are just so fascinating. Like, why would you not want to know? If like if they're gonna let you know what's going on with them, like take all the information you can, like learn from people. I think that's so interesting. So I think when you And also when you allow people into your mindset, you know, it allows them to say, like, hey, I'm not alone. It's not just me out here in the void. Other people have my experiences, and I think that's really important, too. A lot of people feel like they're alone because just because they don't have anyone else to speak to or nothing else to compare to. And I think it's really important to give people that space where you can say, like, hey, you
0: know, it's not just you. Like, it's me, too. I also struggle with whatever it is, you know? There's such incredible power in that message of you're not alone. That's what's part, partly motivated me to do this particular kind of little spin-off series is just that. Is that like there's so much power in just someone sharing their story. There's always someone who can relate. There's always someone who can speak up. There's always someone who sees a little bit of themselves in the story that you share. And that's such an important ripple effect that that can change so many things. And that actually leads me to, I want to back up a little bit because I am curious to hear about your coming out process and what that journey was like for you. If coming out for you was just about sexuality, was it also about relationship anarchy?
1: I don't think I necessarily came out in terms of relationship anarchy. I just started to act how I wanted to act. And if you didn't like it, then okay. Don't like it. When I came out, I only came out to my mom per se. I feel like coming out is complicated, but the only person I feel as though I truly went out of my way to come out to is my mom. I felt like she deserved to know living under her roof, but I also feel like no one else mattered. My siblings are pretty chill; they wouldn't care either way, um, and like no one else in my life deserved the energy and deserved the emotional. Deep sigh that it is to come out in such a big way. So I told the polyamorous person I was dating at the time, I I was like, listen, or yeah, I think I said this to them, but I also just to myself, like, listen, if you fall in love with this person who is um, not a cis man, tell your mom that you're gay, okay? Because she should know. Just say it, just say it one time for the one time and move on. And so I so I ended up catching like really soft feelings at the time um for this person and you know, really felt like I loved them like that. So I was like, Okay, I gotta go and say the words to my mom. And it's funny because the day that I did decide to come out, my friend came over and um she's a woman. So I think my mom kinda knew that I was, you know, gonna say mm-hmm. something. So I go and I sit I go to say something else beforehand and I kinda didn't leave. So she's like Anything else you want to say? (laughs) And she's, and I'm like, so hey, mom, yeah, like, and she's like, is that your girlfriend? I'm like, no, it's not my girlfriend. We're just friends. (laughs) She's not my girlfriend. We're just friends. But I do want to say, like, I'm pansexual. And she was like, what does that mean? So I tell her, like, you know, pretty much that it means that I'm attracted to people of all gender. I don't really feel like I'm just limited to cisgender men. And she kind of hit me with the, but there's only two genders. And then I kind of was like, you know what? That's a conversation for another day. We'll talk about being transgender and what the spectrum is like all day long. Not today.
0: Good boundaries around your energy. Good job protecting yourself there. Something was like, just say that, just say it
1: quick. (laughs) So no, you don't have to go into the whole explanation. (laughs) Um, But thank you. Yeah. I didn't realize how important that was until after I said it. I was like, damn, okay. (laughs) Um, yes I'm like this is a conversation for another day but yeah I said what I said she was like okay well yeah you know I've always kind of known um so I said what I said and she was like well yeah that's fine you know do whatever you want and I remember um, eventually I ended up asking her can I bring like potential partners or like dates over she was like yeah you know do whatever you want so yeah so she was great about it it was a lot better than I thought it could have been you know like when you're in that doomsday mindset where everything is like it's either great or you're going to die. That was kind of where I was <laughs> with yes. the whole thing. So it was really, really good. But I also feel like coming out such an, a complicated thing, especially when you're not a lesbian, like, or if you're not attracted to one gender, it's always like, you always have to come out because then it's like, in a way, because they'll see you with a guy. And it's like, oh, well, you're obviously straight. Like, well, that's not true. But if they see you with someone who looks like a woman or it's like, well, that's not, I'm not a lesbian either. I get that a lot. Mm-hmm. People think I'm a lesbian. So I wish lesbians thought I was a lesbian, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's like this protracted process coming out is this like slow process a constant process many many conversations had with many people multiple times and yeah that is interesting that you speak to that that when you're pansexual or some kind of sexuality that's beyond just a particular binary you set yourself up for this multiple coming out process because of that because it's like people see you with a woman and assume like okay she's finally settled on something yeah and you know and then you have to have another conversation yeah um it's strange now that i'm dating again um it's kind of weird because
1: people won't date people who are, who are bisexual for whatever reason. So that's interesting. Now I don't mind if you don't want me. I don't need to want to be wanted by anyone. If that's not what you want. Then don't want me. But um, it's interesting to see like people in their like bios or whatever it is like know this, know that, no bisexuals. Pick what you want.
0: Whatever. I'm like okay. Jeez. Bye. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah. Well, outside of, I mean, outside of the experience on on dating apps, do you think that, like, people of your generation are more accepting in general of, like, non-traditional ways of relating or of things like relationship anarchy?
1: Um, I think relationship anarchy, for sure, is one of those things that people are like, like, at least when I explain it, like, oh, that makes sense. I can see how that makes sense because, like, you know, a lot of people I know, too, also have issues with their family and they just haven't had the space to talk about, like, how their family has done whatever it is to them to make them feel a certain kind of way. Um, and, but they have to, you know, honor their parents or honor their relationship because that's their parents. So I think for a lot of people who've grown up in a household where their parents' word was law, and are now growing up and realizing that like they can forge their own path and like set the boundaries that they want with their own relationships, it's really important for them. And they're, they're acknowledging that, um, other aspects of my life, I don't really think so, just in terms of like, um, like different concepts for me, like being bisexual, like I still get a lot of those same questions. It doesn't matter how old the person is, it's still a lot but which one do you like more, or how can you do that, or all these things. So, um, relationship anarchy, I think, is an easier pill for someone to, to swallow once they see how I explain it.
0: Did you, as a part of all of this, did you go through a deconversion process, or do you still feel like you have ties, like to your religion and your religious upbringing, now?
1: Um, I think there'll always be a thing where it's like, oh, but well, what will Jesus say if he saw me doing like, the gay thing? Oh my God! There, I still—that's something I still struggle with, honestly, especially with like religious beliefs. Um, I still struggle with that. It's like, but what if he doesn't love me anymore because I'm doing gay things? And it's like, but, it, but then it's like, does does that matter? Like, does that really matter to you? And a lot of people will, you know, have their religious beliefs based on like their personal experience with the Lord, or they'll have things that the Bible say, and they are strict to the book, which you know, is your business. Obviously, I don't really care much for doing things exactly by the Bible's pages and all of that. But I still try and have that relationship, that connection. I don't feel like when I was made, there were any mistakes that I'm, just how I was supposed to be I also have um to add on to another intersection to my life I also have cerebral palsy that's something you're born with that's something you can't like not have if you have it it is there so um I think the whole thing of even saying that I was a mistake or in a way or that I did do something wrong implies that God was wrong and that doesn't work for me so like it is what it is this is just who I am
0: with your religious background now like what are the things that you find are actually really supportive and encouraging for you that's one thing about a person
1: i previously dated who is also religious but is of trans experience that was something we really connected on was that we are religious but we also have this you know this experience that we want to like live and and we have this way of life that we embrace regardless of what religious texts say i've always tried to pray or just be aware of like the Lord's presence, or just being a good person, doing things that I think would be expected of me as a Christian. Mm -hmm. Helping other people out when I can, being there for people when I can, you know, things like that, I think are Mm -hmm. most important.
0: A couple of years ago on the show, we did an interview with the person who identified as as a queer Christian and actually wrote a lot of Resources and like create a lot of content around that, and it was a really really cool episode. Like, really enjoyed talking about queer Christianity and things like that. And I was surprised that we actually got a very polarized response to that episode. It was either people who were just like, "Oh my god, I'm so glad that you cover this topic. Like, I still identify as Christian, and I'm so glad to see myself represented in this way," or it was people who were very very resistant. Like, I can't believe that you would even support Christianity. I, I don't understand how. You can justify being queer and Christian and stuff like that. But I'm curious to know, like, what you would say to the people who hold that, like, really, really deep sense of aversion to the idea of even trying to rectify being queer and being Christian at the same time. I
1: mean, for the religious people who are against just the whole aspect of being queer, for those people, I can't speak to because you're going to believe what you want to believe, and that's
0: fine. Um, I don't think any of those people listen to our podcast anyway. So okay, yeah, <laughs> sure. okay. Um, yeah. But for um, the other side of things, I just feel
1: like my relationship with Christ is really none no of no one else's business. I've been through a lot already on my own. <laughs> I don't need anybody else coming over here and saying anything. If you would like to have a constructive conversation, <laughs> we can definitely do that. And I'm totally open to being told that I am missing the mark or I'm doing this wrong in your opinion or whatever, but to come through and just like be negative for the sake of being negative or like bashing my religious beliefs because you don't agree. Like what does that do for us? What does that do for you that you want to come through and be so negative? Like,
0: like get a hobby, eat something, you know, do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I like that as a response to just people who are being cra- crabby in general. Just tell them to eat something. <laughs> I eat like it's a hobby. So, like, it's a good time. What are the things that you hope for the queer community in the future?
1: I hope that the queer community can just embrace itself, embrace each other, embrace the different aspects of the community. Um, I've seen a lot of like just negative things from people in the community towards other people in the community, whether it be through like dating and stuff or whether it be through um, experiences other people have told me about. I just kind of hope that we can all kind of just be more accepting of one another. Like for dating, for example, it'll be like, I I read some profiles and it was like a lesbian who was talking about how she doesn't, she is a stud or more masculine. And she said she doesn't date other um, masculine lesbians because that's too gay. And I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) We're all gay. That's <laughs> the whole point of it. <laughs> Things like that. Um, and I have an ex who has spoken about, you know, they are non-binary, but going into queer spaces where you would think that it would be more accepting are not. So even if the other person is transgender and they preach about, let's say like using correct pronouns, my ex would still constantly get... Um, misgendered like on a regular basis by the same people who were claiming that they were so inclusive and it's just like make it make sense so that's something i really want to see like to change for sure like is just like being more accepting and open-minded getting rid of all these heteronormative ideas of like what we shouldn't shouldn't be just because we grew up in that space doesn't mean we have to have the same ideas and opinions in a in a slightly gay way i want to see us have the equality we all deserve. I think a lot of people want to do a lot of things, but there's still so many legal loopholes or legal caveats to what gives us the same rights as straight people. And I want to see um, us just be happy. I think we all just deserve that.
0: Lastly, do you have any advice that you would give to any budding relationship anarchists or anyone who's intrigued by the concept?
1: I really think that it's just important to evaluate your relationships outside of the bonds you have. I think a lot of people get caught up in like, well, this is my family, or we've been friends for 15 years, or I've known this person since I was a, a baby. I think a lot of times the emotional bond we have with people kind of gets in the way of like objectively looking at the relationship and saying like, should I, should I still hang out with this? Should I still be around this person? And I know that that's rough to kind of cut people off when you've had this close bond, but you know, I think that's kind of the basis of the whole thing. Re- relationship anarchy is saying that I'm choosing this person. I'm not being forced to hang out or be around or whatever this person. I'm I'm making the active choice of this person in my life because of a certain reason that I feel is important. So if you can look at the relationship and say these are the positive aspects of the relationship that I like. These are some things that are not so great. Do I still want to keep this person in my life, despite? these are not so great things. Everyone's going to have, everyone's going to have a thing where it's like, I don't like that, but you know, we're cool. So, you know, so kind of like talking about or discussing, or like even with yourself, discussing like, what exactly it is that you like about this person and why? And if you can really have a deep understanding of like what that looks like for you, what that means for you and who this person is in your whole life and say like, this is someone I'm keeping around because they value me because I value them. Then that's like the first step. Take the time to assess. Because that's what will give you the power to say, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. Or maybe I need to make a different choice. Or maybe you're the best person I've ever met in my whole life. Maybe we're bestest friends on purpose. So yeah, I think if anything, just evaluate every single relationship and see why you want them in your life.
0: Wonderful. I think that's a wonderful place to leave that on that note. So lastly, for all of our listeners, where can people go if they want to see more of your work and your writing um so
1: i do have a website corey that's where all of my work things and all my professional stuff is so i have a twitter corey nicole w instagram is the same thing i think that's pretty much it
0: excellent well corey thank you so 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 much for your time and thank you so much for sharing your story this has been a really wonderful fascinating conversation
1: thank you for having me i'm so honored
0: I hope that all of you listening out there really enjoyed Corey sharing her story. You can stick around for our bonus episode. It's going to be some of the extra stuff that we didn't have time to get to in the main episode. We talk about a number of things, including cultural obsessions with women who have absent fathers, as well as some lighter things like some silly inside the actor studio style questions. So, if you want to get access to that bonus episode, you can become one of our Patreon supporters. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenework and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Onand from The Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes.